Hello, EB Online Church family. Whether you're watching us from home or on vacation, maybe you're in the car or from somewhere here on our campus, wherever you may be, thanks so much for making us part of your day. We hope that our time together gives you strength and motivation for the week that's to come. Now, have you seen these online videos, maybe on YouTube or, or one that someone posted to their Facebook page where a kid is opening up a birthday present and clearly he's anticipating something. You can just tell by the look on his face. There's an expression of anticipation, excitement, joy. His eyes are wide and, and he just rips into the wrapping paper and he tears it to shreads. But the look of excitement changes to a bit of confusion as he sees the box. In this case, he was hoping for an Xbox, but he's now staring at a box that has a picture of a pottery wheel on the front and it says, make pottery fun at home, fun for the whole family. And so there's this look of confusion. I mean, after all, how could this happen? Did mom and dad not understand what I told them? I thought I made myself clear. What have I done to deserve this? I mean, have I not done enough for them by existing and everything? And so he's just all confused. But then the look goes to hurt. Why me? Of all kids, I'm the one who asks for the Xbox but gets the pottery wheel. And then the look goes from hurt to a look of anger that his parents would dare, I mean, would dare wrap up this box for him. And so the video ends with him throwing it across the room and yelling at mom and dad and stomping out of the room and slamming doors. You know, as adults, we learn to deal with disappointment a little bit better. But I think most of us can understand the feeling of the kid, right? We grow better at disguising it. We get better at masking it. But we understand how the kid feels. Most of you who are married, you know what it's like to have a spouse that somehow just doesn't get it. Like you've told your husband, these are the shoes I want. And these are the sizes of shoes that I wear. This is what I want. And he wants to be creative. He wants to think outside of the shoebox. And so you open up the present on your birthday and it looks like the right size and the right shape, but you open it up and well, it's not shoes. It's, it's like a box of Nutrisystem food or something like that. I mean, it's the worst possible thing that he could have gotten. Or husbands, you want the new iPhone. And instead of getting the iPhone, you open up this box and it, it's, it's nose hair clippers. I mean, it's the right shape and size, but it's the wrong thing. And we all know what it's like to have moments like this. We've learned to kind of swallow the bitterness. We've learned to kind of pretend that everything is okay. But inside, we can find ourselves slamming doors and stomping out. I mean, we know what it's like to expect one thing, and then we get something else. And I know that some of you have experienced this continually over the last few months. You had anticipated a senior year that was filled with memories of musical, soccer games, spring formals, and graduation traditions. But everything was postponed and then canceled. Your friends and family did the best they could to make the last few months special, but it's just not what you planned. Or you graduated from college, and when you started school, there was a lot of hope, and there was this look of expression of excitement. But now, well, unemployment is up and you don't have anything lined up, and you don't know what is going to turn up. It looks like you're going to have to move back in with your parents, and it's not what they want. I mean, it's not what you want either. I mean, it's not, it's not the plan. You've opened up the wrapping paper, and you've seen the box on the inside. It isn't what you thought it would be. Or you get married. There's a lot of excitement and anticipation and joy on that wedding day, but then 
you start to unwrap and it takes a while to get some of that wrapping paper off, but you get the wrapping paper off and it's not what you thought it was going to be. And you're trying to deal with the disillusionment and the, the disappointment. Or you've been told that the reason you have felt so poorly is because of a very sneaky cancer. You're young, you've got a family, you've got plans, but now you find yourself spending long hours in a cold doctor's office while your family waits and prays in a hot parking lot. You're trying to say the right things, you're trying to be strong, but it's tough. I mean, many of us can tell the story. We can describe the scenario where sometime at some place the, the thing that we thought we were getting is just not what, that's not what we wanted. It's not what we anticipated. And this is the situation that we discover as we, as we read through this tiny book in our Old Testament that's called Ruth. And if there was a video camera that was rolling in this story, you would see a lot of different expressions. There would be an expression of joy and there would be an expression of disappointment and there would be the expression of anger. And the story in many ways, well, it just reflects life. It reflects expecting one thing and getting another. The story opens by focusing our attention on a husband named Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. Now, we don't have a picture of Naomi, but we know what her name means. It means pleasant or it means sweet. And it seems to capture her life early on. In fact, later in the story, she describes her life as full, as just being satisfied. And I'm sure that's how it felt on her wedding day. As she and her husband stood and committed their lives to one another, there's a look of excitement and a look of anticipation. And things seem to be going according to plan for her story. It wasn't very long until two sons are born. But as we continue reading, Naomi's expression changes and there's a lot of confusion. Because there's been a famine in the land for some time. A famine that is so severe that they can no longer stay where they are. So imagine that your spouse comes home from work. And you can tell it hasn't been a good day. You try to talk about it, but you just end up sitting in silence. You check out Facebook. Your spouse surfs Netflix. And then finally that night, as you lay in the darkness of your bedroom, your spouse says, they let me go at work today. And you, you try to say all the right things. You say, well, it's going to get better and this virus thing can't last and things are going to turn around, but then they don't. And six months later, you've depleted most of your savings. You've sold your car. You've moved out of your house and into an apartment. Two years pass and, and now it's not just afflicting your family, but the whole region and everyone seems to be impacted by this. And your biggest concern is just what you're going to eat for the next meal. And you think, I can't believe that I used to think about my retirement or my portfolio or my wardrobe or what I was going to wear the next day because now all you can think about is what are my boys going to eat? And you go up into their rooms at night and you kneel beside their beds and their growling stomachs make it very hard to hear their nightly prayers. Things have just become desperate. And finally, you and your spouse say, you know what, we can't stay here. We're going to have to move. We've got to try something different. We're going to have to do something in order to survive. Now, this is what is happening with Naomi and her husband. They don't have food to eat. They have to go somewhere. They have to try something. So they move. Bellhop pulls up the large camels to the tent, and it's time for a fresh start. Happens every day. But you need to understand what it was like for them. The promised land that they were living in was, was part of who they were. It was part of their identity. Each family had a piece of land that had been designated to them and that would be passed on from generation to generation to generation. And you don't just leave your piece of land. It's part of who you are. 
It was part of who they were. And it must have been absolutely desperate for them to pack up and to leave. But leave they do. And they go to Moab of all places. Now Moab, these are the descendants of Sodom. It's a very pagan culture. And what you have in Moab is just a lot of prejudice towards the Israelites. I mean, these are the sworn enemies of God. So they go to this very hostile country because they just need food to eat. And they've heard that the ground there in Moab is more fertile. And, and so that's where they go. And, and that's where they decide to, to live. And, and I think that as they leave that Naomi thinks, well, you know, I've just lost. I've lost everything. I mean, we're losing our home and we're losing our land. But, but I've got my husband and he's a good man and he takes care of us. And I've got my two boys and, and they're healthy and they're strong. And I've got my God and I've got my faith. You know what? If I've got that, I'm okay. The text says she left Moab feeling full. But they get to Moab and her husband becomes sick. And he doesn't get better. He grows weaker and weaker and eventually dies. And here is Naomi, a single mom, a widow in Moab, this hostile country, trying to raise two boys. And the boys grow up. They fall in love with, with two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. They end up getting married. And it seems like finally something good is happening for Naomi and for her family. Two weddings. But these two weddings are followed very quickly by two funerals. There's no time for grandkids. And as Naomi, after losing her husband, she loses both of her sons. And she's just experiencing this incredible, incredible grief. And some of you, you get it. You know loss and you know disappointment. Now, none of us are exempt from this. If it's not present now, it's probably coming. And after losing everything, Naomi decides she really doesn't have much choice but to go back home and, and just hope that things are better in her small town. So she tells her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, look, you stay here because you're young women. Stay in your homeland of Moab. You have time to remarry and, and have a family, but I have to go back. And Orpah agrees to stay, but Ruth refuses. So Ruth says to her mother-in-law, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. But may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Now you've probably heard that text before, probably at a wedding, right? Usually that's a scripture that is read as the bride and groom stand in front of each other and express their love and devotion. Now, if we were really going to be accurate with the text, what should happen? In the middle of the wedding, the bride should turn away from the groom, look to her new mother-in-law and say, where you go, I will go. <laughs> now, now, that's not going to happen. I mean, that's not a tradition that's going to catch on. But that's exactly what's happening here. This is just a very special relationship that is formed between a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law. And the Bible says that when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. Now, now Ruth and Naomi, they make a difficult trek back to Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is a town of less than 200 people. And so when Naomi returns, it's big news. I mean, people start to talk and they say, now, hey, is that her? It, it, it doesn't really look like her, but I think it is her. Now remember that Naomi's name means pleasant or sweet. And they say, I, I think that's her. Is that really Naomi? But Naomi says, look, don't call me by that name anymore. The Almighty has made my life very bitter. 
I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Do you see the expression on her face? She's angry. She is mad at God because he has not held up his end of the deal. This is not the way her story was supposed to go. It wasn't supposed to happen like this. And she says, well, look what God has done to me. He's made my life bitter. He has brought this misfortune upon me. It's his fault. He's afflicted me. And I wonder if some, for some of you, this sounds very familiar. I mean, you just reach this point where it feels like what you had hoped for, what you had, had wanted, what you felt like God was going to deliver for you and give you just hasn't worked out. And maybe you're blaming God right now. You're blaming God right now about the events and the circumstances in your life. You've ripped away the wrapping paper and, and what you see is it's not what you expected and definitely not what you wanted. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. As you read Naomi's story, I want you to take time to ask yourself what it's all about. You say, well, that's easy. The, the story is about loss. It's about a, a woman who just loses. I mean, she loses her home and her land, her husband, her sons. It's a story about loss. But, and here's something that, that I want you to think about. Does her story have to be about loss? She loses a lot. She has incredible pain. But is that what the story has to be about? I read recently about a man named Gerald Seitzer. He was a professor at Whitworth College in Spokane, Washington. And a number of years ago, Gerald was in a car accident. He was hit by a drunk driver in a minivan and he lost. He lost three generations. He lost his mom, he lost his wife, and he lost his young daughter. But he himself was not hurt. And he has a book where he has written about going through this journey. And the book is called Grace Disguised. And here's what he says. He says, the experience of loss does not need to be the defining moment of our story. Now, it's one thing for me to say that, but it's something else when he says it. He says the defining moment can be our response to the loss. The story doesn't have to be about the loss. The story can be about our response to that loss. In other words, we don't get to decide what roles we play in the story of our lives, but we get to decide how we play the roles that we're given. And so you reach this point in loss, you reach this point in your story where you just decide, you know, is this really going to define me? Is this going to be what my life is about? Is my story just going to be a story of loss? Is that all? Or could the story be something different? I know it's a hard way to think about life. And I think it was hard for Naomi not to just get caught up in the pain. I mean, we tend just to get focused on what's happening right here in front of us. I mean, we see the box and there's just all of this disappointment. Naomi says, don't call me sweet because I'm bitter. I left full and I've come back empty. And as the scene fades to black, we picture Naomi throwing down the present and storming out of the room. Naomi thinks that she's coming back empty, that God has abandoned her. But if she could just wipe away the tears long enough, I think she would see that her story is not about loss, but about gain. Hers is a story about how God redeems what this world takes away. He redeems Naomi's story of loss with an unlikely friendship. You know, God has a way of doing this. We experience loss and grief, and He'll bring alongside us someone that gives us strength to get through the difficult times. Now, what, what many of you would say who have gone through this is that the person who gives you strength isn't always the one that you think it will be. 
And it's true in this story. Who would have guessed that her daughter-in-law from Moab would be the one that, that she would have this close, connected relationship with, that she would love in this way? In fact, later on in the text, as you continue reading the story, when the village gets to know Ruth, even though she was from Moab, they say in chapter 4 and verse 15, they tell Naomi that Ruth is better than seven sons. So in the midst of her grief, she has, well, she has this friendship that helps redeem the story. And it's interesting, though, because she tries to keep Ruth away. She says, no, you, you stay here and, and I'm going to go back by myself. And we often do that, right? When we go through loss, we have a tendency to, to push people away instead of pulling them closer. But we need somebody to say, you know what, it's okay. It's going to be all right. It's normal that you're feeling this way. I understand what you're going through. I've, I've been there and done that. I have all the t-shirts. I've, I've gone through this before and it's going to be all right. We'll be all right. And that's what's really, that's, that's, that's what church is really all about. That God redeems the loss that is inevitable in our fallen world by surrounding us with brothers and sisters who can grab us by the arm and say, I'm not going to let you go through this alone. I'm not going to let you struggle with this disappointment by yourself. I am with you and I will be here with you and we are going to walk through this season of life together. Now, what I love about Naomi's story is, is that it's different from other biblical stories that we read. There doesn't seem to be some great miracle or act of God. Whereas Abraham had an audible voice and Moses had the burning bush and Jonah had the whale. You, you don't see that kind of stuff here in the story. You, you don't see some overt or obvious act. There, there's no splitting of the Red Sea or closing of the mouths of lions. There's nothing like that. But you get to the end of the story and here's what you know for certain. The world takes, but God redeems. See, as the story draws to a close, Ruth meets a man named Boaz. Now, now remember how we said that the promised land was set up in such a way that, that each family had their designated piece of land? And, and remember that Naomi, along with her husband and, and sons, left that land? Now, now, because Naomi's sons died before fathering children, there was no heir. And, and this meant that Naomi could not claim the land. Ruth, even though she was married to one of the sons, she could not claim the land. The land would fall to the closest male relative, and he would be given the opportunity to redeem what had been lost. And now that means the relative would have the option of buying the property, marrying the widow, and then having a descendant with the widow who would then inherit the family's property. And guess who happens to be the close relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech? That's right. It's Boaz. So Boaz comes along and says, look, I'll buy the property and I will marry Ruth. And understand, this is not, this is not just some small act of kindness and sacrifice here, especially when you consider that Ruth is a Moabite and therefore the men of the area would have had nothing to do with her. But here is Boaz who goes out of his way to redeem her and by doing so gives this story a surprise ending. And when Ruth when Ruth gives birth to a son, the women of the town say to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. You have expectation, you have confusion, you have anger, you have joy. Naomi's story is a roller coaster of emotions, just like your story. You know, over the last three months, we all have become accustomed to disappointment. Nothing seems to go as planned, nothing seems to go as scheduled. 
Each of us has had to deal with setbacks and cancellations and detours. No one is receiving what they asked for. So in the video, the kid opens the present and his look goes from confusion to hurt to, to anger, right? The box, the, the pottery wheel gets thrown across the floor. But mom goes over and, well, mom goes over and picks up the box and she goes and, and finds her son and says, no, 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 you have to open it. You have to open the box. You have to find out what's inside. And the son opens up this pottery wheel box and inside is an Xbox with a few extra games and an extra controller. The mom wasn't trying to play a joke now. She just explained that, well, I couldn't fit it all in, I couldn't fit it all in, in, in the box that came in. I had to put it all in this. This is the box that it could fit in. I had to fit it all in this box, so I put it all in here. But, but you had to open the box. And so here's what I'm saying. Before you stomp out of the room and slam the door because you don't like what you see on the 2020 box, I'm just saying, why don't you take some time? Why don't you just take some time and, and check on the inside and why don't you see what God has in store? It could be that, well, it could be that this is the only box that he could fit all of his blessings into. And so just, just wait and, and, and see what's in the box. The box that you're looking at may be labeled canceled or, or widow or divorced or, or cancer or terminated. But, but don't let that be your story. Your story does not have to be about loss. Your story can be about redemption. Give God a chance to work. This world, this life, it takes from us. But God redeems. So let go of your anger. Put away your bitterness. Open the box and enjoy the gifts of God. Why don't you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you have given us this year. I know we've come and we've offered a lot of complaints because of the things that we have lost. But Father, can we just for a few minutes, can we just, can we just thank you for the things that we have received? for those things that you have put into our, our 2020 box. I mean, a lot of us have had more time with, with family than maybe we've ever had. We, we, we've been able to, to share together more. We've been able to, to have more FaceTime, more, more meals around a table. Father, there's been a slowing down that has taken place within our, within our society, within our, our neighborhoods, and it's been good for us it's been good for our health just to be able to slow down a little bit. And, and, and Father, it's been placed upon us to, I mean, we've had to go about our, our own search as we have come up with our own Bible studies. We haven't always been able to get together with, with others. So we've had our own private, quiet time. And, and Father, you've spoken us to us in ways that, that we've never heard you before because of the crowds and because of the noise. But in our bedrooms, around the kitchen table, there in the living room, we've been able to, to just have time with you. And you, Father, you have spoken and you've reminded us that we are not alone. You've reminded us that, that we are your children and that you are still providing, that you are still with us. And so, Father, we just say thank you. Thank you for the different blessings that have been in our 2020 box. Oh, there's other things that we would have enjoyed being able to experience. And Father, we have had loss, but you have given us so much more. 
For you've reminded us that even in the midst of disappointment, even in the midst of discouragement that you provide, the world may take, but Father, you redeem. Thank you for redeeming us right here, right now, through Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we offer this prayer. Amen.